Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, a couple things before we get started this morning. Um, we have had one of our members exposed to the COVID virus. Um, they were here last Wednesday night. Uh, they were not wearing a mask, but they are self quarantining. There are no symptoms and um, they are staying home for the health and the safety of us all. So I just thought I would let you know that. And if you are, you know, you just have to know who it is, then I would say you go ask one of the elders or, or Carly and they'll let you know. Okay. But um, <clears throat> it's bound to happen, right? It's bound to happen. And we do thank you guys for wearing your masks. Those of you are wearing your masks. And as long as you're not bringing in a gun along with you, you're fine. Secondly, uh, some of you got the email about uh, Samantha Grimes. How many of you heard about Samantha and the car wreck that she was in? How many of you saw that picture? Wow, isn't it amazing that anybody walked away from that thing? But she walked away with no more than a sprain in her arm, and she's doing fine. None of her children, of the six children, she has three of her own and three foster children, were hurt. <clears throat> but the car is a total loss. So thanks to your generosity, she has new car seats for a van that was loaned to her, and she is doing fine. And praise God, she's okay, the kids are okay, and we were able to provide and meet some of her needs. Amen? That's good. All right. <clears throat> Would you please stand? We're going to, to pray before we get into our study this morning. Let's bow our hearts. Father, come before you now in the name of your Son. And here in this, in this tabernacle of meeting, we are here to meet with you as you are here to meet with us. To have you, the sovereign God of the universe, our creator, the invisible, the immortal God, condescend to meet with a creation like us. Well, it's overwhelming, Father. Because, like David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we? Who are we that you would visit us and that you would take interest in us? But you do. And we are. We are so grateful, forever grateful, eternally grateful for your kindness, for your compassion, and for your mercy. And that you would desire, Lord, conversation with us, giving us this precious privilege of prayer, being able to talk to you, Lord. I know sometimes in our own hearts it feels like we're just talking to ourselves or talking to the sky. But your word tells us that you hear the prayers of your saints. You hear us. 
So this morning I pray that you would please edify us, strengthen us in our faith. Give us new insights to your word. And may there be a, a great manifestation of your Holy Spirit in power, in love. Thank you for keeping Samantha safe as you did. Thank you for providing for her needs. And thank you for our fellow congregant who is now exposed but showing no signs of the COVID virus. We know that you are, are with them and with him. So Father, we pray for his complete uh, safety and for his healing. And indeed, I pray for the safety and the healing of everyone in here today. But we will give you praise, Father, for whatever you deem is wise and necessary for us to go through. Just help us, Lord God, to be, to be responsible. We love you and we praise you and we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Are there any um, former or current Marines in our congregation today? Yes, sir. Thank you for your service, by the way. Yes. <clears throat> If John Ortega was here, he would be standing up. He is a very proud Marine, ex-Marine. There was a gentleman in Florida, maybe you heard of him. Um, he got arrested and sentenced to three years in prison for personating a Marine. He was dishonorably discharged as a private first class but he forged some documents to the Marine Corps and they sent him medals and ribbons and even gave him a promotion to corporal. And in his dress uniform, he has a whole side chest full of ribbons and medals and goes to different, uh, went to different functions and spoke in behalf of the Marine Corps until, of course, he got caught. I don't know about you, but I do know the U.S. Marines do not like it when others impersonate being a Marine. They call it stolen valor. Stolen valor. I sent out a text message, and I got more than I expected in return from our young adults and from our men about representing our Lord, you know. Not that any of our guys misrepresent the Lord. I, I would have absolutely no clue about that. And that really wasn't the point, but it sure did stir up some conversation. It did. The young adults, and, um, I, I can't tell you who said what, but one, one young man said that uh, he didn't think, well, I guess you should know what the question was, right? That would be helpful. Yeah. Um, do you think that you're afraid to share or are hesitant to share the gospel with other people because your life doesn't represent the Lord properly. Something like that, right? That's a paraphrase. I mean, I wrote the question, but I don't even remember what I asked. <clears throat> and it wasn't to convict anybody or make anybody feel guilty. It was simply, you know, 
is that a care? Is that a concern? And of course, uh, it, it was a concern. Um, a lot of people, you know, are at different stages of their walk with the Lord. But I was really curious to, to find out is, are we even really mindful of that? Because we are priests and kings, according to the word of God. And the fundamental function of a priest is to represent God before the people. A more important function of a priest is to represent the people before God. And of course, if you are not representing God before the people in power, it's going to be very difficult to represent the people before God in power either. There's a connection between the two. But we did get told that it wasn't because of that, it was because of the protests that are going on that people are afraid to share their faith. It has more to do with being embarrassed or not being able to answer questions. But yet some did say, yeah, you know, I, I don't really want people to think that this is what Jesus is like. And what that tends to do to us, and by the way, I, I've been there, and, and in some ways I'm still there, is that it makes you more of a secret agent for Christ, doesn't it? Rather than being a disciple of Christ with that gung-ho commission, go forth into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I have shown you, right? And lo, I will be with you until the end of times. So what we're going to talk about this morning is representing God powerfully. Representing him powerfully. We're in a section of the Bible that's talking about the priesthood. And as I just said, the priesthood's fundamental function is to be a representative of God to the people and a representative to God on behalf of the people. Now, <clears throat> We elect people to represent our values and our concerns, and we send them to Washington or to the state capitol, and we expect them to do that, correct? And of course, a lot of us are kind of wondering whether that actually happens or not, but we give it our best shot. Well, God has elected in Exodus chapter 30, which I hope you are, are turned to, the children of Israel to be his representatives. Matter of fact, he did it back in chapter 19 when he said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. <clears throat> and it was not just the priests that were to be God's reps. What the priests were, the whole nation should have been. And you know the story is that um, they fell into idolatry time and time and time and time again until finally he put them off into exile. Today, all of God's people are a priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. In verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, you, you, and look at that person next to you, point at them, that's talking to you, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. All of us are God's representative. Imagine that. Imagine how important that is. Imagine how impressive that is. 
if someone were to come in our midst and we found out that they were the ambassador to a South American country for our U.S. government, well, that would be, well, that's, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. And what do you do? Oh, I, I flip burgers at McDonald's, but hey, that's all right. You get the idea. It's a very impressive and prestigious position to have, to be God's representative on earth. And think about what it is that we are saying to an unbelieving world. First of all, we are saying there is a God, one God, a true and living God. Isaiah 45.5, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. <clears throat> there is no God beside me. And we're proclaiming that. We're representative of that one God. And that one God, his name is? That's right, the universal right answer for all Sunday school questions. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So bottom line, John 8, 24, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But if you do believe, John 6, 47, and this is the message rendering of it. I'm telling you the most solemn and sober truth. Whoever believes in me has real, eternal life, a good life, a fruitful life, a secure life, an abundant life, eternal life. That's what we're representing, guys, bottom line. So, how do we do that? How do we rep the Most High right? How do we do it with power? Four ways. First, by being a praying people, if you're taking notes. Secondly, by being a grateful people. Thirdly, by being a holy people. And then, fourthly, by being anointed this morning, we're going to get into being a praying people, and the next week, we'll take the other three, because this is most fundamental. If we're going to represent God rightly, if we're going to represent him with power, we're going to be a praying people. So Exodus 30, look at verse 1, please. Exodus 30, verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it out of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, its horns with pure gold, and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it, you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to labor into the, the structure of this altar of incense. We did that a, a few weeks ago when we studied the altar of incense 
specifically. But if you will remember, there were two altars involved in the tabernacle services, right? There was a bronze altar outside, and that was for the blood sacrifices to make atonement for sin. Atonement. In other words, to make us at one with God. To make us right with God so that we would be able to have fellowship with God. <clears throat> And then a golden altar for the burning of incense, which represents prayer. If you remember, when we went through the um, altar of prayer, the golden altar, you remember that the wood, the acacia wood, speaks of the humanity of Christ. And the gold overlay spoke of his deity, right? Fully man, fully God. And more than that, it reminds us that we can pray to the Father only because of the work of making us right with God, the atoning work of his Son. That's the only way we have the right to pray. That rhymes. I'm a poet, and I didn't even know it. Look at John 16, 23, please. <clears throat> John 16, 23. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he is on the last night of his life, okay? And he starts this sentence with, and in that day, what day is he talking about? The day after his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. It's like a blank check, right? And don't kid yourself, okay? Uh, there, there, there's a, there are some stipulations to this in his name, okay? When you ask something in his name, it means you're asking on the basis of his merit, his righteousness, and for whatever would honor and glorify him to build his kingdom, all right? It isn't that if you're driving down the road and you want a <clears throat> whopper to magically appear that it's going to, right? You got that, you understand. But it's because of his work on the cross that we have unlimited undeniable access to God. Think about that. You have unlimited, undeniable access to God through him. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could have direct access to God, and that only once a year. Now, the veil's ripped. We can all come in as often and whenever we want. <clears throat> John Calvin said, this is a remarkable passage by which we are taught that we have the heart of God as soon as we place before him the name of his son. You put before God the name of his son, you have an instant audience with God. How awesome is that? 
oh gosh, I, I, I pray that you would see that today of just how precious, how honorable, how powerful that is. To God, his son's name is gold. All right? Now, verse 7, Exodus 30, verse 7, let's go back there. It says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. Sweet incense, sort of like Napoleon Dynamite's incense, okay? Sweet incense. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, verse 8, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And you shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. This is a very specific type of incense, and we'll get into that later. But you're not to put anything else on this altar other than that pure incense, not a a um, strange incense. As a matter of fact, uh, Aaron's sons, uh, Abinadab and, and Abihu, they're going to face the ultimate consequence for trying to offer up false fire to the Lord, false incense. But th we'll save that for another today, for another day, not another today, today. Psalm 141.2 says, let my prayer be set before you as incense the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Revelation 5 tells us that the golden bowls full of incense are the prayers of the saints. Now, I, I don't raise your hand in this because, you know, people might get the wrong idea. But how many of you burn incense at home? All right. I... I I personally have a little, I burn some incense in my office. It's just to make that other smell go away, <laughs> all right? But incense is a, is a wonderful thing. It's an aroma that, that mm, it's good. It's a good aroma. The high priest burned the incense each morning and evening, and that is a reminder that we should be opening and closing our day with prayer. All right, and then 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us that we actually should be praying without ceasing. That means that we have the attitude and the heart where God is at our elbow. He's, he's right there by your side, okay? Uh, moms, you know how two-year-olds sort of cling to you and go around everywhere you go? Okay, well, you be that with God, okay? He's with you right by your side all the time. So you're always there to have a conversation with them at any point in time. You should be conscious of that. George Mueller, how many of you heard that name? Okay, if you want to read some books about some fantastic answers to prayer, read George Mueller's books. I love the story he tells when he sat down to eat breakfast in the morning with his orphans. He had a table full of orphans and they had the plates set and they had the silverware set and they had the glasses set, but there was no food on the table. And the kids are going, where's the food, Pastor George? And he says, the Lord will provide. And he bowed his head, he prayed, and immediately a milk cart outside his orphanage broke down and brought in all the milk that they needed. And then another guy says, you know what, do you need some food? We got some extra food here. It's going to go bad if you don't take it. I mean, prayers like that being answered is just, 
It's awesomely encouraging. He said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down, and when I rise up. And this is what I love. And the answers are always coming. Is that your experience? Is that your experience? Prayer is the core of spiritual power in one's life. Just like the core of your body is the center of power in your body. You can have, you know, 27 inch in diameter biceps, but if you've got a weak core in the body, you're not gonna last very long in whatever athletic event you're going to try and do. You're just gonna walk around with these big arms that look pretty peculiar. Luke 15, 16, it tells us that Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And then in Luke 18, Jesus spoke a parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Are you getting a hint here? Are you getting a hint? Prayer is crucial. Prayer is important. Now, is there anybody here can really explain to me how prayer works? Have you ever asked yourself, well, if God knows everything, he can do everything, what do I need to pray about it for? He already knows what I need before I ask him, so why doesn't he just do it? And if everything's going to happen according to his will, anyway, do I need to pray? No one's ever asked themselves those questions. It's just me wandering around. All right, well, prayer is a very special, serious thing, and there is a great mystery to it. Turn to Exodus, look at verse 34. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacked anica and the albinum, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. Verse 35. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony. The testimony is the Ark of the Covenant. You shall put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it shall be cut off from his people. This is a very special composition of incense. It's carefully prepared. And it is not to be duplicated for common Purposes like body spray or perfume, all right? It's special. It represents what? What does the incense represent again? Our prayers. As a kingdom of priests, it tells us that we don't engage in prayer rashly or lightly, but with reverence, deliberation, and forethought. It's a privileged, powerful communication given to the child of God to speak to the God of the universe. 
I want to give you some special or several observations on the extraordinary essence of prayer in the life of the priests of God. These are several quotes from some of the spiritual giants of our time. James Montgomery Boyce said, Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Andrew Murray, one of my favorites. Prayer is not some mystic reasoning after the unknown. It is response to the God who speaks in scripture, the God who personally acts in the lives of his people. William Law, prayer is the nearest approach to God and the highest enjoyment of him that we are capable of in this world. Ralph Herring, Prayer is a summit meeting in the throne room of the universe. Anonymous, prayer is a weapon for spiritual warfare. When you pray, there is a clash of arms in the heavenly sphere. And Chuck Swindoll, I learned that prayer provides unlimited access to the power God longs to give those who serve him. Of all those quotes, that one you should really remember, especially if you are a servant of God. It provides unlimited access to the power God longs to give those who serve him. Like I tried to say just a few seconds ago, prayer is a mystery to me. All I know by it is I commune with God and he with me. And without it, I am powerless to live the life that represents God's properly and confidently. Which brings me to a reflection point. Look at verse 6 again. Look at verse 6. See the placement of the golden altar of incense. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. So if you guys remember the tabernacle, the holy place, and the holy of holies, right? The holy place, the tent of meeting was called. There was one section called the holy place, and that had the, the um, showbread and the golden lampstand and the golden altar of incense, and then a veil behind the altar of incense, which brought it very close to where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the, and, the, and the most prominent feature on the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And of course, that's the veil that ripped when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus was crucified, the veil ripped and it opened access for everyone, whoever will, to come to approach God. The phrase that I really want you to pay attention to is that he will meet with us, or I will meet with you. See that in verse 6? I, God, will meet with you, my creation. In Exodus 25:22, it says, and there... I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. 
And then in 29, 42, and 43, it says, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And then in verse 36 of chapter 30, <clears throat> put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, where I will well, what? You guys are falling asleep on me. I'll meet with you. Do you know what it means to meet with someone? I think well, that's pretty obvious, Pastor. Well, to come together, to approach in opposite or different directions, to come face to face. Brother Cho, I don't know who Brother Cho is, but he said, as air is the breath of life, so prayer is the breath of faith. It's not only our approach to God, but also his approach to us. Prayer is that place where we meet face to face with God and he with us. Now, I, I need to remind you of this because we tend to doze off. This isn't an ordinary God. It isn't like the 30 plus million idols of Hinduism or the common disrespected God of swear words. This is the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God who upholds all things by the word of his power. This is the supreme authority who has the power to direct, control, use, and dispose of absolutely anything at his pleasure. He is the one in whom we live and move and exist. He sustains our very breath. Take a breath, guys. He didn't die. He just sustained you one more time. And here's the thing that blows me away. He has a personal interest in you. A personal interest in you. John 14, 21. Turn there, please. <clears throat> Again, the last night of Jesus' life, speaking to his disciples in the upper room, he says, He who has my commandments... And keeps them. It is he who loves me. So how does Jesus know if you love him? Think about it. If you have and keep his commandments, right? What are his commandments? Two. Two. And that's it. You have those commandments and you keep them, then it, you are one who loves him. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him, and I will do what? Manifest, make known, reveal myself to him. Now look at verse 23. Same chapter. 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And this is, this is, here it is. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus will manifest himself to us. He and the Father will make their home with us. It may not hit you like that, but I guarantee you, this last week, it was some precious, precious knowledge for me. Go to 1 John, verse 1. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John is towards the end of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. This is the Apostle John. He was in on that meeting that I just told you about in chapter 14. He was the one that became known as the beloved Apostle. He's the one that you see in the in the pictures of the Last Supper, leaning upon Jesus' breast. I would have liked to have been John if I were going to be one of the apostles. That would be the guy I wanted to, because he outran Peter, by the way. Just so you know. He says here, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. I'm reading from the Lou Living Translation, by the way, in case you're wondering. It should be very similar to yours. Whom we have heard and seen. First John chapter 1, verse 1. We proclaim to you, we, the apostles, proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Whom we have heard and seen. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. <clears throat> he is the word of life. Some point in time, it just dawned on John that Whoa, you know who I just touched? Do you know who I just heard speak? It's God, the word of life. This one who is life itself <clears throat> has, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify <clears throat> and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Now, verse 3, we proclaim to you that, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So if we're having fellowship with the apostles, then we're going to have fellowship with the true and the living God. No other religion, in no other religion, can you have a personal fellowship and communion with the God of that religion. None. You cannot have a personal relationship with Buddha. <clears throat> you cannot have a personal relationship with Krishna, Muhammad, or Allah or any one of the 33 million idols of Hinduism. And you certainly cannot have a personal relationship with the God in naturalism because there is no God in naturalism to have a relationship with. 
Only through Jesus Christ can you have a relationship with God. And he wants to meet with you. Your service to him is secondary to your personal meeting with him. Did you hear that? Your service to him is secondary to your personal meeting with him. <clears throat> a lot of us think that we get busy serving God, that that suffices for our relationship with him. It does not. It's a disappointing, powerless thing. We need to serve God because we fall in love with him. And you will not fall in love with him if you don't spend time with him. <clears throat> Let me read to you something that was revolutionized my walk with God. I was a youth pastor at the time. And um, even though I was enjoying ministry, there just felt like there was something missing in my life. I'd heard all about having devotions with God, and yeah, I did hit and miss, had devotions, and prayer life was hit and miss as well. And I went into my pastor's house at the time, and he had this little Andrew Murray track. And this is what Andrew Murray said. And I think it ha I have it up here on the screen, so why don't you follow along? The more I think of and pray about the state of religion in this country and all over the world, the deeper my conviction becomes that the low state of the spiritual life of Christians is due to the fact they do not realize that the aim and object of conversion is to bring the soul, even here on earth, to a daily fellowship with the Father in heaven. When once this truth has been accepted, the believer will perceive how indispensable it is to the spiritual life of a Christian to take time each day with God's word and in prayer to wait upon God for his presence and his love to be revealed. High school I was teaching at during an assembly, we had a Hall of Fame Major League Baseball pitcher come and speak to the school. As you can imagine, the whole school was a buzz. And this guy was a big time player and a big time speaker. He talked about how he blew his arm out during a World Series game. Uh, it snapped, and the snap was so loud you could hear it up into the upper decks. He spoke of how he fell into a deep despondency and depression and how medication and counseling brought him out of it. And then he went on to say and make application of his experience, and it was the application of his experience, not the application of the Word of God, that It really shouldn't feel, kids shouldn't be feeling guilty about missing their devotional time as much as the church preaches that that's important. He wasn't saying it wasn't important. He was just saying that it causes too much pressure on you because you miss it and you feel guilty about it. And I somewhat agree with him. But you see, I had been polling the kids about their daily time with the Lord. About reading the word and prayer. And for well over 90% of them, daily devotions were not even on the radar. And now a major sports figure, a World Series winning Hall of Fame pitcher, someone with instant credibility on whatever he spoke about was telling our kids, in effect, it's no big deal. 
it's no big deal. And then he asked us all to raise our hands if we had devotions every day, right? <laughs> I was a stinker. I raised my hands, not because out of spiritual pride, I want to show you. It's out of my conviction of what I just read to you. This is essential. Andrew, well, he gave me such a dirty look that I had to put my hand down because it, it wasn't going well. The first and chief need of our Christian life is fellowship with God. The divine life within us comes from God and is entirely dependent upon him. As I need every moment of fresh the air to breathe, as the sun every moment of fresh sends down its light, so it is only in direct living communication with God that my soul can be strong. You see, everything you encounter in navigating life successfully is going to depend upon God taking the chief place in your life. Crisis will hit. How many of you know that now? Your faith is going to be shaken. But if in the quiet place you've tasted and seen that God is good, and definitely you will, you will trust him even though everything outside is screaming, walk away, give up. You can't trust God. You see, you don't trust people you don't know, and you don't know someone if you're not spending time with them. And if you're into representing God right, if you're into representing him powerfully, then you need to meet with him daily, nightly, constantly, and pray. Hear what he has to say to you through his word. This is the key to happiness, wholeness, and holiness. We have no power of our own to maintain our spiritual life. Have you figured that one out yet? We need each day a new grace from heaven through fellowship with the Lord. And it takes time, deliberate time, quiet time. You say, I don't have the time. Better make the time. You need it. How many of you ever sung that song, I am desperate without you, right? And you feel that. And he says, come. Come on. Take the time. Maybe turn the TV off. And if you have to, go lock yourself in the bathroom. And just spend time with the Lord. Open up. Meditate on it. Pray his promises. Praise him for his attributes. Thank him for what he has done. And see if you are not just flooded and overwhelmed with the peace of his presence. Take the time. Okay? That's all I got for you this morning. I'm sorry. Worship team, why don't you come on up? And uh, we're going to have communion now. Um, I do not know how the communion is going to be served today. All right, these are all sealed wafers with the juice cup, right? 
and the guys won't touch them. Just hand it to you, you pick up your own. They are sanitizing right now. And if that doesn't work, we'll get out some flamethrowers and kill anything. All right. Anytime you're ready, guys. Let's pray. Father, I know that I fail and fall far short of being able to adequately describe your majesty, your glory, your holiness. I know that <clears throat> I fall short in putting across the idea of just how special we are to you, how incredibly privileged we are to be able to have an audience with you because you are the true and the living God. You are our creator. You are El Shaddai, the mighty God, the God for whom nothing is too hard for. And you take a special personal interest in us and you tell us to come cast our cares upon you because you care for us and you tell us don't be anxious about anything don't worry about anything you got it covered but in everything prayer supplication with thanksgiving make your request known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You've said that if we love your son and we keep his commandments, then he and you would come and you would abide in us. Like Nicodemus, how, how can that be, Father? Well, since we are born again, that's how it can be. Father, I ask that you would just light these souls on fire for you. And that after leaving this building, they would go home and have a desire to just spend time with you, alone with you. So please bless them and keep them and make your face to shine on them and be gracious to them. In Jesus' name.